Welcome to this BMJ podcast with me, Navjoit Larder, Analysis Editor. Neoadjuvant chemotherapy is used as part of the treatment for breast cancer, but there is growing evidence that questions its use, and an analysis article on bmj.com argues that it is time to reconsider the current treatment options. I'm joined now by one of the authors of the analysis, Jayant Vadia, Professor of Surgery and Oncology at University College London, to discuss the article in more detail. Thank you for joining us, Professor Vaidya. Hello, Hi. and it is my pleasure to be here too. Um, can you first fill us in on the standard treatment for breast cancer and what is the rationale for using neoadjuvant chemotherapy? The standard treatment for breast cancer can be divided into local treatment, there's treatment of the disease in the breast, and systemic treatment, that is treatment of any cancer cells that might have spread elsewhere in the body. Local treatment can be either a mastectomy or breast conserving therapy in the form of a lumpectomy or a wide local excision. When the breast is conserved in this manner, it generally requires further treatment with radiotherapy, which can be given either during the operation at the time of lumpectomy in suitable patients or as external beam radiotherapy over a course of three to six weeks. Systemic therapy consists of either chemotherapy endocrine therapy or biologic therapy such as Herceptin is generally given after an operation and is called adjuvant systemic therapy. It is given in those patients in whom there is a significant risk of the disease having spread elsewhere in the body and by giving these drugs we have a higher, we improve the chances of cure. Neoadjuvant chemotherapy which is the topic discussed in our paper is chemotherapy given before an operation and was initially uh, devised with several aims in mind. The first was to reduce the size of a large inoperable tumor to a size that makes it operable with a mastectomy. The second was the idea that by giving systemic therapy first, you might improve survival by avoiding the delay that occurs until the patient has surgery. Several randomized trials have now tested whether giving the same drugs before surgery is better than giving it after surgery. What has been found is that while by giving the drug before surgery, a proportion of patients can have their tumor reduced to a size which makes them have a smaller operation such as breast conserving surgery and this does occur with uh, new and aggressive drugs, um, 25 to 30 uh, additional patients. Unfortunately, giving the drugs earlier did not improve survival at all and three large meta-analyses have now been published that shows absolutely no benefit in terms of survival by giving neoadjuvant chemotherapy. On the other hand, it was found that by giving neoadjuvant chemotherapy, there was a significantly higher risk of local recurrence. One of the most interesting rationales for using neoadjuvant chemotherapy is to use this as a test bed for how effective the drug is. This can be so even standard drugs, one gets an idea that the patient's tumor is responding to it just by seeing the tumor in the breast shrink in size or not shrink in size. By the same token, you can compare two drugs to see if one shrinks the tumor in the breast more than the other. While patients who respond better ultimately do better than those who don't respond, Drugs that have a higher rate of response, in fact, have not been found to be beneficial to patients more than the drugs that do not have such a high response.
these new robust and consistent randomized data suggest that the tumor cells which have spread elsewhere in the body may not be behaving in the same way and may not be responding to drugs in the same way as the response seen in the primary tumor in the breast. These new data challenge the very concept or paradigm of the window of opportunity studies suggest that the tumor in the breast cannot be used necessarily as a test bed for a response to the tumor cells that are spread elsewhere in the body. So if drug A has better complete pathological response rate than drug B, it does not mean that there will be a better survival when drug A is given instead of drug B. So um, just on that, in the face of this kind of growing evidence, how, how um, conclusive is this evidence? Do you think there is um, enough available now that we should stop using neoadjuvant chemotherapy for those indications where its use seems to be um, less helpful? Well, the evidence is really very clear. Uh, firstly, the large meta-analysis at patient level, uh, with patient level data of about 4,500 patients, um, three of them have been done, and the latest is by EBCTCG, the Oxford group, which clearly found increased rate of local recurrence when neoadjuvant chemotherapy is given compared with adjuvant, adjuvant chemotherapy. And this is uh, not limited to those trials in which surgery was not done when a good response was seen. And this increased rate of local recurrence persisted for up to 10 years. And most recently, three different pairs of randomized trials have been published, each of them showing a significantly higher rate of complete pathological response by addition of a new drug, such as pertuzumab, so which increased the pathological complete response from 22% to 39%, but there was absolutely no difference when pertuzumab was added in an adjuvant setting in terms of survival. Exactly same findings were seen in the trials of lepatinib and bevacizumab, all very promising when in neoadjuvant setting, but uh, completely disappointing when given in adjuvant setting uh, and did not improve uh, overall survival. So when you look at the hazard ratio of increasing uh, complete pathological response rate on the x-axis and on the y-axis you have survival benefit, the line is horizontal rather than being at 45 degrees. So it is now clear that uh, the response to a drug in the primary tumor in the breast cannot be taken as a representative of the response of distant disease to the same drug. So this shortcut of finding and testing new drugs doesn't seem to work in uh, many cases. There are two other important points. First is that when neoadjuvant chemotherapy is given, the patient has to live with the cancer for several months. In some, some patients, the tumor can be seen to shrink, so patient can feel it shrinking, but in others, it remains the same size or grows in size, which certainly is not something a patient would like to bear. They may have wanted to bear it should it have made a difference to their survival, but as it doesn't, is it really right for us to make them bear it? A yet another point uh, that has not been made before is that neoadjuvant chemotherapy makes surgery less precise. So when uh, uh, operable 
cancer which is suitable for breast conservation is uh, removed uh, and excised by the surgeon, he can uh, feel the edge of the cancer quite well differentiated from the surrounding softer breast tissue. So this hard edge can be felt by the palpating finger during an operation and surgeon can take a good margin of clear tissue around it doing a precise operation ensuring that the, all the cancer is removed. When neoadjuvant chemotherapy is given, if it responds, then the tumor melts away. When it melts away, it does so by leaving behind islands of cancer cells within it with no clear margin or no clear edge. So a surgeon has to then remove an area of tissue in, um, in a rather imprecise way. Um, so when such a tissue is excised, it may leave behind cancer cells, which may be the reason why there is increased local recurrence with neoadjuvant chemotherapy, although risk appears to remain even when uh, surgery is adequate. So neoadjuvant chemotherapy does not seem to improve survival despite being given early. It does not seem to be a good way to test a new drug. And it does improve the chance of uh, having a breast-conserving surgery by a small amount, but that is at a cost of less precise surgery and increased local recurrence. This is what prompted me to write this paper uh, because I could see that despite this new data coming in, uh, it, they didn't seem to get assimilated into clinical practice and the uh, fashion of neoadjuvant chemotherapy that was uh, started 20-25 um, years ago seemed to still remain and continue to be used in clinical practice rather than recognizing that really this is probably not beneficial to patients. In fact, now it is being given in uh, anybody uh, with a certain biological subtype, however small the tumour is. There is a broader point about sort of medical reversals in general, which is something that we think about often as part of our Too Much Medicine campaign, and which is an issue across medicine where um, something is thought or assumed to be a good idea, it seems biologically plausible and makes a lot of sense. And um, is is becomes into widespread use before the sort of full evidence of um, its effects, benefits and harms is available. Um, and it seems to crop up quite a bit in oncology, I guess, because of the nature of how studies are done um, in oncology. Um, why, why, what, I mean, what do you think about that within your own field and what can be done about it? Well, there are a few examples of uh, where medical reversal is uh, probably needed. Uh, unfortunately, um, a striking one is about uh, uh, reconstructive techniques after breast cancer surgery. The driving force for reconstruction, either after removing part of the breast or the whole breast, is to, uh, quote-unquote, improve uh, cosmetic outcome and improve patient satisfaction and uh, reduce the uh, psychological trauma that might be caused because of any deformity that might be caused because of the surgery. And this encompasses both uh, immediate or delayed reconstruction after a mastectomy or use of therapeutic mammoplasty and contralateral breast operations when doing uh, breast-conserving surgery. Now, both these techniques are um, more complex than a standard uh, wide local excision and glandular uh, mobilization to fill the gap. Um, they are probably more fun to do for a surgeon and perhaps more satisfying for the surgeon, quote-unquote, to have a better cosmetic outcome uh, from the surgeon's point of view. 
But what is important to recognize is that none of these techniques have been tested in a randomized setting. So we don't even know that doing this additional trauma to the patient in the presence of a cancer is uh, harmful or not. We don't even know whether it actually improves patient satisfaction with the cosmetic outcome or not. Two new studies have uh, found something quite startling. It appears that the perioperative inflammation, because of either wound complications or because of the additional trauma that occurs when uh, these much larger operations are done, seems to uh, worsen survival from breast cancer. Of course, these are not randomized data, but it does prompt the need to have randomized data to uh, show whether these operations are safe to do in a cancer patient. We don't even know whether it actually improves patient satisfaction with the cosmetic outcome or not. So unless that is known, and just because now uh, it is uh, it's easy for surgeons to do it, and it has become fashion that that is what should be done, um, it shouldn't continue. This is one place where randomized evidence is necessary to be um, sought, and only after that this practice should continue. And until then, patient should be informed about uh, the option and that there is a possibility of a detriment to their survival and that uh, there is no randomized evidence to show that is actually beneficial. What is interesting is that uh, the availability of um, oncoplastic, onco uh, quote-unquote, oncoplastic surgery and uh, immediate reconstruction has been now considered as a one of the standards of how uh, against which breast units are being um, measured and the number of reconstructive procedures, immediate reconstructive procedures done uh, in a particular unit are a measure of success of the unit. When in fact, we don't even know whether it's good for the patient. So when even the pioneers of oncoplastic surgery uh, recommend it to be used in only 5 to 8% of patients, this non-evidence-based, relentless uh, pushing of uh, therapeutic mammoplasty and reconstructive techniques is the second uh, medical reversal in the breast cancer treatment that uh, I'm keen to have. Unfortunately, there are a few more examples. Yeah, routine use of MRI when it's uh, in randomized evidence shows that it actually is not beneficial. Use of um, uh, external radiotherapy in patients who could well be treated by partial breast radiation such as intraoperative radiotherapy, use of neoadjuvant chemotherapy, and um, uh, promoting the use of uh, reconstructive techniques and therapeutic mammoplasty. So let's just pick up on that because I think, you, I mean, the, pa the patients are at the sort of the, the center of all of this. Um, and I mean, what we hear time and time again um, from um people who um, contribute to the journal and as a GP I hear this from patients as well is is not feeling fully informed about um, the treatment to make the treatment decisions that they're expected to make um, how do you think that can be improved I mean specifically within breast cancer I know it's an issue across across medicine really but but in your experience are women well supported to make these decisions or or do you think that do you think more can be done? I would like to believe that in the UK, in majority of breast centres, patients are supported in this manner and given a choice and are encouraged to take part in the decision-making about the various options available to them. 
I believe that's what happens in majority of cases. But increasingly, I'm uh, concerned that uh, there are a significant proportion of patients who may be given a standard recommendation, perhaps because of the overbearing pressure to conform to the quote-unquote standard care, detracts us from individualizing a treatment uh, according to the available evidence and patient choice. So MDTs should really recommend a menu of options which are all valid and supported by evidence. And then clinicians would be uh, more easily be able to give these choices to patients. This would happen if MDTs are dominated by evidence and healthy discussion uh, of pros and cons of various treatment options for a particular patient rather than dominated by egos. Every member of the MDT should have uh, the time and opportunity to continuously keep up to date with the latest evidence. Mm. So what would you suggest to um, any women who are listening who are facing these treatment options or any GPs um, or other clinicians who are who are sort of helping women face some of these treatment options, what would be your advice to them? Uh, so you're asking me for a solution, but uh, it's not easy to no, give you one. No, there aren't any easy solutions. And I think this is an issue that is, um, it's an issue ac- across the, across all of medicine, really. One solution to this uh, is a decision analysis tool uh, that remains up to date with the latest evidence and can guide clinicians and point them to the direction of uh, what the latest evidence is and where a particular patient might be suitable for a clinical trial. And such a tool has been developed by one of my colleagues. UK is in the unique position that every breast unit has a very Um, well-defined and well-conducted MDT. And this MDT infrastructure in the UK is the ideal platform for raising awareness, raising um, equipoise about treatments for which we do not have evidence about. And when this is combined with uh, patient consultation is done with care, compassion and respect for patient choice, then a medical reversal uh, may not have been ever required. We should always remember that what seems to be absolutely correct today is proven false uh, a few years later. So one needs to always recognize that we can be wrong just every time. You've been listening to Jayant Vardia talking about why he questions the use of neoadjuvant chemotherapy in breast cancer. And that's all for this podcast. As always, if you found this interesting, then you can find more on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. There you'll find over a year's worth of episodes, all available for free. Also, if you're even more keen, then you can find our full back catalogue on bmj.com forward slash podcasts. That's all for this episode, but we'll be back soon. Keep an ear out for my next one about the problems of being hard of hearing on the ward. I'm Navjot Lada, Analysis Editor for the BMJ. Thanks for listening.